0: I am very excited to have the opportunity to interview Courage Bacchus and we will be speaking about many aspects of Courage's life and career. The voices you will hear will be mine and the voice of Marcia Adolf, an ASL interpreter, a veteran interpreter of 26 years, who will be interpreting my words for Courage and Courage's uh, ASL for our audience. Courage is a Tkaronto-based Guyanese, Black, Deaf, former Olympian, actress, and activist. You can find her on Instagram and Facebook. Now, Courage, you and I met at the first Luminato Access Advisory in 2020, and I was sitting next to you at the table, and I was conscious of... Of feeling quite disoriented because I'm totally blind so I interpret the world exclusively from audio cues and as a deaf person you interpret the world exclusively visually and I was aware of this awkwardness where your ASL interpreter was on the other side of the room and it was feeling complicated in a way that I wasn't sure what to do with and at lunchtime You turned to me, and through your interpreter, you asked me if I would like some help at the buffet. And I was so touched that you stepped across this awkward, maybe it wasn't awkward for you, but this barrier that I felt as awkward, and just stepped across it, and you guided me to the buffet, and you helped me get my lunch. And so that's a memory that has really um, stuck with me, And so what I would like to begin with is to ask you, what value have you found on working with the Advisory Council uh, with Disabled Artists?
1: Yes. And hello, my dear friend, Christine. I am happy to be having this conversation with you. Yes, I'm happy to answer your question. Now, uh, just to let you know, I, I always remind myself that... Sometimes if you're in a situation where you can help someone who's facing a barrier or a struggle or a frustration, I have that understanding because I've been in in those shoes before. Uh, I have visual needs. You have auditory needs to make sure that you are aware and living your life. I'm a human, you're a human. In other societies, people don't necessarily understand us, but we continue to advocate and to show people who we are. And that's why I feel like I feel that way to that. I want to help people. It makes me feel good. I'm a human. I like to show my passion and I like people to feel good. And I like to see that. I like to see to see that. And so to answer your question, working with Luminato as a consultant, it was great to be able to meet other people with disabilities that have similar journeys and have us work together and to advocate to make sure that people who aren't necessarily always aware and are sometimes resistant, um, it's good to have us come together and to work together to uplift, encourage, and to make sure that that we're seen. And sometimes it's raw because we talk about what bothers us and what triggers us and it makes us want to change the world I think that's our big that's the big hunger that we have. I'm gonna end my thought with that.
0: I'm holding my hand over my heart. That is beautiful. Um you have said I'm the kind of person who likes to take risks. I feel like this is something that's reflected in your piece in uh in golden hour. What are some of the most rewarding risks that you've taken?
1: Huh, okay. Um, I am really thrilled to be part, I was really thrilled to be part of Golden Hour through Luminato. Now, growing up, I never had a chance to meet or have someone who had, who had a summer life story to my family's life story. And I struggled to understand why. And I'm starting to realize that people wouldn't, weren't necessarily able to communicate with me. Maybe they weren't able to sign. And... Or sometimes people just haven't made the effort. I do remember growing up always taking risks from when I was a little girl. That was kind of a natural instinct of mine. And yeah, that's a good question. I'm, I was used to trying things. Uh, now as an adult, it's not the first time. Some of the risks I see, if there's, for example, new opportunities, new things that I haven't tried and I think who will do it if I don't, if I'm not the first person, the first deaf person to go ahead and take that step. I've seen, I I've, have see very few black deaf people in Canada in terms of representation who will step up and make those changes to the world that we want. So I think that's why from a little girl, I was always willing to take those risks and yeah, I, that's kind of, I guess, I'm used to living in that in that way, even up until today. And of course, I have fears. I have fears, but I make my choice to kind of overcome those fears. That's the choice that I make. And that's not a choice for other people to make for me. That's a choice for myself to make. End of thought.
0: Wow. I had not thought of this before, but I think that a person with a disability who gets to a point of feeling good about their lives and succeeding has to be someone who's at least okay with risks or you're not going to you're not going to get very far i don't think i'd really consider that cuz i'm like you i like to take uh, to take risks also now you have said that you feel a connection between the black community and the indigenous community um can you explain your sense of that relationship
1: okay yes I remember back in maybe grade four, or grade five, my first good friend was an Indigenous Deaf girl, and her brother was Deaf as well. And that was at Metro Toronto School for the Deaf here in Toronto, Tech T- Toronto, my favorite elementary school at the time. It was such a diverse population of students of different cultural backgrounds, newcomers that had maybe look, were looking for a new life here in Canada and my classmate uh, my good friend was an Indigenous deaf girl with an older brother, excuse me, with a brother who was deaf of Cree background and we would all sit beside each other. We would all sit beside each other and we just had this natural connection and then about a year passed and she told me she was moving to Edmonton with her family and I was thinking no that means I'm probably never going to see you again and she moved and through high school I actually met another Indigenous uh, family, Deaf family, three generations of Deaf uh, people in that Indigenous family and we kept in touch and she taught me so much about her culture Uh, she is of Oneida descent. This is a sign. I'm using a sign for Oneida here in Ontario. And Oneida is represented by three different feathers. That's a sign that we use representing three different feathers. And I've been to her home and I've been involved in the, I've met the indigenous community out uh, in six nations and her mother who is deaf told me about some of her experiences at the school for the deaf and talked about not knowing uh, indigenous sign, but knowing ASL. And I became involved with the wild seed black arts fellowship. And they talked about his, the history of indigenous people and black people and black people being indigenous in their own ha- in their own, on their own land in Africa. And we watched a film and I, thought back to elementary school and that automatic connection that I felt and that connection I felt in high school with my other Indigenous friend and we've been in contact to this day and she's talked to me about her, her frustrations, the the loss of her language and culture, the bad experiences that she's had in her life journey, the experiences oh. of racism as an Indigenous person. I think about my myself and my own experiences of racism as a Black person and I think that interpreter just getting clarification. I think that that the values that Indigenous people have for deaf people, and the values that Indigenous people have for black people, the very um, connection that they feel, I feel that connection. And I very very much value the understanding that um, Indigenous people have shown me as a deaf person and as a black person. End of thought.
0: You have said my language was colonized a long, long time ago. Can you help me understand that?
1: Yes. Okay. I have learned about colonization and the use of language in the deaf community. I've learned a lot of this from deaf friends, from indigenous deaf friends and we've talked about colonization and the effects that it's had in terms of language. So growing up, I learned American Sign Language and that is used by Canadians, oftentimes white deaf Canadians. The language, um, how we've learned to communicate and how I learned to express myself has been mostly developed by white deaf people And black and brown and other people of color who use ASL haven't had the language impacted by our use of the language as much as we've had it impacted by white deaf people's use of the language. I'm very emotional around it because I learned ASL as a girl and I didn't have the opportunity to learn, for example, black ASL until I was older. I learned that the black community actually does the black deaf community in the US does have their use of ASL that was never recognized. And I feel like I didn't learn about any of that until I was older. And I didn't understand about how the language developed. And so I am very emotional thinking about it. And now that I'm older, I realize how much the language has been colonized and it's not necessarily a choice that I made to use this language. And, but it is how I express myself, but it's not necessarily a native language in how I've been taught to use the language. End of thought.
0: That's very powerful. And it's something that I didn't know about until I started doing, doing a bit of research on, on um, ASL. And so is it something, is black sign language something that you are fluent in and that you, you use with certain people in your life?
1: Well, again, such good questions, (laughs) Christine. To be honest with you, I'm learning Black ASL. I'm learning more about it. And I would say maybe 50 to 60% in terms of fluency. Um, I went to Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C. for a year. I was involved with a group of people who were Black, like myself, as well as of Hispanic descent. And oftentimes uh growing up i would my use of asl would include um, mouth movements similar to english spoken word but that's not how they used asl they used asl without using the mouth movement big signing style big signing space which would be considered loud the bigger the signing is the louder it is and so i was learning more about that that year that i was at gallaudet and I've been involved with international sign when I was involved with some of those international events, um, the Deaf Olympics, for example. And so my use of language, I think, is a, a mix of ASL, Black ASL and international sign language. And some of those international events I attended with the Deaf Olympics, uh, I learned international sign, I learned Black ASL at Gallaudet and ASL here in Canada. So. With some of my research, obviously I can't control what my journey has been, but I'm happy I understand better and I can see which use of language is better for me. And I can continue to learn more Black ASL, which is something that I do want to spend more time, but the process, you can't just learn a language overnight. End of thought.
0: As a hearing person, I'm blown away by spoken word, which is, often done by black artists. Is there a version of that in black sign language?
1: Yes. Last year, I was actually involved in a Black Lives Matter monologue competition. And uh, my friend who was hosting... Uh, encouraged me to become involved and compete and I didn't feel like I was ready but I did go ahead at the same time I didn't know what I was going what I wanted to say and they said you know what try your best try to meet four expectations you it's up to five minutes you need to show originality um, you need to show originality it needs to be your own voice and you need to be clear so the theme was Canada is stolen land and so it was for you to put your, yourself out there and give your opinion on that. So you had up to five minutes. I actually ended up winning first place, the, the 2020 Black Lives Matter um, monologue competition. That was my first spoken word, uh, my first experience. And I, uh, it, it, I, I proved to myself that I can do better, that I can do it, and that I can continue on with some of this. So, yeah, I was able to uh, be involved and compete and won. (laughs) End of thought.
0: I am applauding. That is amazing. That's very, very cool.
1: Well, thank (laughs) you. Thank you.
0: Now, we were both part of hosting the 2020 Luminato Virtual Festival. Um, As part of the festival, you performed two excerpts from Maya Angelou poems that Rebecca Singh voiced. Can you tell us about that process?
1: Yes. Okay. I always love Maya Angelou's work. Maya Angelou's work has inspired me and makes me want to express myself, but I've always felt challenged by expressing myself because it's not easy. I'm a little bit shy. I sometimes a little bit nervous in expressing myself. I don't. I don't know what people are going to think. Are they going to think it's good? or they think it's not good enough? I didn't rehearse enough. It doesn't look good. Try and do my best. Maya Angelou's words again. One of my favorite writers, authors, poets, and someone has someone has said to me. Uh, a good friend said to me, suggested, advised me, and has encouraged me. They said, you know. Maya Angelou's work is very similar to maybe your journey. She's a black woman who I think would inspire you. I hadn't actually heard of her work. She bought me the book and it's beautiful. And it's Maya Angelou's work is absolutely an inspiration as a black woman who's hearing still as a hearing woman. She still inspires me. Uh, She, inspires me through her poetry and motivate has motivated me in my journey. I think it would be nice to have uh, the representation from a Black deaf woman and maybe hear uh, how they express their thoughts or maybe if there's representation there in expressing themselves. We don't have that as of yet, but I do have Maya Angelou's work to look to. End of thought.
0: I'd like to talk about your piece in Golden Hour. So you're part of the second episode of Golden Hour, which is Luminato's uh, ongoing program series. Season one uh, is a myth- is an essay on the mythology of Canadian culture as presented through the lens of, of artist curators. What have we lived and what have we been sold? Provocative questions. Um Uh, As a bit of background, Golden Hour simultaneously contributes to larger dialogues in the region and adds to the creative consciousness of the city. Can you talk about yourself as a storyteller in the context of Golden Hour? Uh, How did you choose what to tell?
1: Yeah, okay. That's really funny. Diane asked me, Uh, A few years, years ago, if I'd be interested in participating in Golden Hour, to tell a story. And I said, yes, I was interested. At the same time, I had no idea what I wanted to say initially. I felt like I didn't have a story to tell. And I took some time to think about what story I wanted to tell. I mean, I did have a few. And so Diane contacted me and said, are you ready? And I said, well, yes, but I was almost ready, but I still wasn't sure. And then Diane gave me a few ideas. And I said, okay, all right. The story that I love to share is my journey and my trip to Guyana and my time competing in the Deaf Olympics um, as an athlete. Growing up, I was uh, athletic. I pursued pursued athletic endeavors. I traveled to Guyana often. um, And becoming an actor helped me look back at my life stories. And I didn't realize that I didn't realize I do have stories as an artist. You can, you can, think about and process some of your lived experience and express yourself through your art. So you can think about some of your good experiences, um, maybe some of the trauma, some of the things that you, the values that you have. And I didn't realize that all of those stories and how I express myself and tell those stories can be considered art. So my time in Guyana, my time as an athlete. um, Yeah. I didn't necessarily have those black deaf artists that I was exposed to growing up, I didn't have that. But now I have those stories that I can share and I'm hoping that in the audience, we have black deaf children that now have a representation or someone that they can look to, to hear those stories about their journeys and they can be inspired in a way that I wasn't as a child. End of thought.
0: I'm thinking about something that i I'm almost certain that you said somewhere that I read about not having a direct connection to the folk tales of of your your country of origin or your family's country of origin because you are a deaf person in a hearing family uh it, am I accurate about that and i'm I'm thinking about this because.
1: I'm nodding, I'm nodding as, as, as you're saying that. Yeah, I am the one uh, deaf person in an entirely hearing family and that has been most challenging. Um, those stories that are told, um, I'm watching a movie, I'm watching a TV series, And I see that parents are always telling those stories to their children. And I thought about myself, I would look at my own family, and I didn't have that necessarily. I started to realize because there wasn't the use of ASL, and sometimes extended family don't necessarily make the effort. I make the effort for myself. And thanks to those who I see out in the world and their experiences, I don't necessarily have those Guyanese stories, those family stories, stories. those, those, it, The stories that you tell um, within your family, that creates that your view, your lens of the world through your culture. I didn't have that exposure because as a deaf child watching the stories be told, I didn't have access to them. They're speaking to each other. They're telling the story. They're laughing. But I didn't necessarily hear them. I could see them. Couldn't experience them. End of thought.
0: You also hosted an online panel, uh, Black Deaf Women in the Arts, in March for International Women's Month. Can you tell me a bit about who your guests were and what the highlights of that were for you personally?
1: Yes, I would love to. We had Ebony Gooden. We also had Hoden Yosef. And uh, unfortunately, other members of the panel were not available, but we have Ebony, who is originally from the U.S. and has relocated to Calgary, Alberta, and Hoden, whose background is Somali and lives in Montreal. And uh, Hoden uses both Lsq Lang Design Quebecois as ASL and as well as ASL. is a good friend and a gifted artist, and we wanted to hear about both of them. And we've learned through that panel, uh, some fun facts about both of them. And for International Women's Month, I thought it was important to spotlight deaf women, as well as myself. So I'm hoping that next year we have another panel that we can host and spotlight those individuals. End of thought.
0: Uh, um- before I ask my next question, I just want to go back to something that you referred to, which is your, your career as an athlete. And on your behalf, if I may, I would like to say that you are a multiple medal winner athlete in, in various, the Pan Am, the Deaf games, so many games that I don't even recognize the name. So I just wanted to make the audience aware of, of that amazing fact. And so if I can, I'd like to ask what being such a busy diversely occupied lady as you are what other artistic projects are you working on right now
1: yeah so this past saturday i was actually involved in a performance a show with an organization called theater breaking through barriers based in new york city and they hired A group of actors, four actors. Uh, They hired, uh, they brought in a writer, a director, uh, a number of actors, and I was a one deaf actor. There was a brown uh, actor with a physical disability. There was a uh, Spanish individual, gay, and yeah, I was I also developed a ASL glossary for the other actors I was working with. But yeah, we were doing a short play. We worked together and it worked so well. We combined some ASL with some English. I created an ASL glossary. And next month we're going to be, I'm going to be involved with Pride Toronto with a panel of three deaf, queer, brown actors to talk about uh, the gap in terms of representation for deaf, queer women to take space. Um, and this week, I'm going to be auditioning for a another show, another project this week, um, another theater project that's happening for the rest of this year into next year. And that's a theater company based down in the States. Um, based down in Maryland who contacted me so I have a few more uh, acting uh, projects that are coming up in the next little while I'm pleased to say end of thought
0: Courage, I feel like we've been on a journey. I feel like I've learned oh so much about the world and about your your experience of it. So I'd really like to thank you uh for joining us to talk about all of those things, including your piece on in golden hour. So again, uh courage, you can be found on Instagram and Facebook at Courage Backus. That's B A C C H U S.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed working with you, Christine, and I appreciate uh, having this uh, interview. The Q&A has been great. Thank you. uh, Thank you to Dev for doing the tech and thank you to Marcia for interpreting. Thank you so much. Please follow me on Facebook at CourageBascus and Instagram 100Courage.
0: Thank you, Courage and Marcia. Wow, that was fantastic. That was beautiful.